Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Sunday, May 26th, the greatest spectacle in racing returns. The Indianapolis 500 on NBC and Peacock. 33 of the world's fastest drivers go head-to-head for a chance to kiss the bricks, taste the milk, and claim their place in racing history. Experience the drama, the pageantry, the tradition. Live from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the Indy 500. Sunday, May 26th on NBC and Peacock. Or listen on Sirius XM NBC Sports Channel. With the first jewel claim. Oh, it's a photo of the Derby! The race for the Triple Crown erupts into an epic party. The Preakness Stakes, May 18th on NBC and Peacock. A big thank you to the great New York Giants fans. I'm going to miss running out through that tunnel and hearing your cheers. Thank you for this incredible journey. Wellington Mayor said, once a giant, always a giant. I'm glad I'm only a giant. Thank you very much. There was a moment there as Eli Manning was accepting the retirement of his jersey where he almost said New York Jets fans. He corrected very quickly and said (laughs) New York Giants fans, and and I mention that for a very important reason as we segue into superlatives for week three of the 2021 season. The first award I'm going to give out today is the Reverse Eli Manning Award. It relates to the New York Jets, and it relates to what Eli Manning did back in 2004 when he was drafted by the then San Diego Chargers. And the message is, not to Zach Wilson specifically, because there isn't a damn thing he can do about it, but this is the future Zach Wilson. This is the guy who finds himself drafted or potentially drafted by a team that is in position to draft him for one very important reason. The team stinks. I can't wait, Mike, and I don't know how you feel about this. We've never discussed it before. I'm a firm believer that these guys who are at the very top of the draft pool should exercise their power, should exercise their prerogative to say, I want to go to a different team. I don't want to play for this dysfunctional team that has been bad for years, that is going to turn me into the next Sam Darnold. And you saw firsthand on Thursday night what Sam Darnold can be. You did the game for Westwood 1, Sam Darnold 3-0 and now with a better team, a better organization, a better everything. I'm a believer that these guys coming out of school should be able to pick where they play, and the ones who have the power to do it don't do it nearly enough. So Eli Manning, the reminder, the last guy who did it, Zach Wilson maybe should have done it. There's got to be somebody out there who learns from this and thinks about it in the future. Oh, I, I think somebody will do it again at some point. I'm, I'm probably not uh, on it as much as you are about that, uh, about going down that road and saying you should have the power. I mean, you know, worst team usually is supposed to have a chance to get the best player. Uh, so, so you draft who you think is going to be the best player. Now, we've certainly seen players pull the power moves from Elway to Eli Manning, and, and I, I do think others will do it as well. 
I'm not a big a fan of that. I think it should be more on the team, though we've seen the team fail time and time again, is you get a guy that thinks you're going to be your franchise and you don't build well around them. We've seen it happen, but we've also seen teams succeed doing it as well. So I, I'm not – you're, you're just basically talking about giving the player the, the chance, right? Because we've seen teams – build around and become better teams like they're supposed to uh, with the player. So, I, but, no, but I, a lot of these bad teams, in, a lot of these bad teams stay bad. Even when they get dibs on the top player, they still stay bad. My point is, you know, we've seen what an influence that first stop on a quarterback's career can have on his entire stay in the NFL. And some guys wash out completely because they end up in a bad spot to start their career. The only guys who can pull it off are the truly best of the best. I wish more of them would do it. It's not even a consideration for most of them. They just accept this is the way it is. I like it when an Eli Manning or a John Elway says, I don't accept the way that it is. And Zach Wilson, who got banged around yesterday, who was seeing Bill Belichick ghosts last week, you know, if it was on the radar screen for him to even do it, and maybe he wanted to go to the Jets. Maybe he believed it would be fine. I just would like to see more of these guys exercise the power that they may not realize they have. So real quick from you, I want to get to my first superlative. Do you think you could put, player could pull it off today? Do you think they could pull a power yes. move off today? Yes. If they're willing okay. to be the villain and willing to take the heat yeah. from the fans because the fans refuse to understand it, they could pull it off. Okay, because I, I do think we'll see it at some point. Okay, my first superlative is, uh, hello, young man, nice to meet you. And that would be Miles Garrett uh, saying hello to Justin Fields four and a half times uh, during uh, Cleveland's win over Chicago. Justin Fields got his first start, uh, and he was, uh, oh, sacked nine times in this game. Absolutely amazing uh, from two aspects. The, the pass rush. You know, that offensive line was, was a point of concern for the Chicago Bears. So the pass rush was all over Fields. And certainly Fields wasn't moved, I don't think, a whole lot uh, in this game. But we, we can chat about that. Uh, but Miles Garrett, I mean, we talk about him off the edge, Clowney off the other edge, looking more at what the Cleveland Browns defense can continue to do this year when you have some uh, edgy speed rushers the way they do. Well, and that's right. And Clowney had a couple of sacks. Garrett calling his teammates out this week saying, when I get doubled and tripled, I, I need you guys to step up. And, you know, the other thing that you alluded to, Garrett was surprised that they didn't take more advantage of the athleticism and the mobility of Justin Fields, that he was just doing straight drop back, no rollouts, nothing to move the target, nothing to move the spot, nothing to make it harder for guys like Garrett to track him down. Yeah, and along those lines, and, and listen, I, that that could be twofold. I, I know you should do, they should have done that more, but number one, you can't do it every single play. You know, for those that are saying, move them, move them, you can't do it every play. You can do it some to help them. I get it. But you also have to remember that once you start doing it, defenses can play it a little better as well. You are taking half the field away from your quarterback when you do it. He usually has a short option, a medium option, and sometimes a longer option, or he can run. Now, could that have helped Justin Fields a little bit? I think it could have helped them some. But in all honesty, they were way overmatched. Way overmatched. And those edge guys are just so fast. Different world in the NFL. Justin Fields getting caught and run down on some of these plays. So while I do think he could have, without question, have could have been moved more, not really sure how much of a difference it would have made uh, in this game. 
Best news for the Browns, too. They have great balance on both sides of the ball. Not many teams are great offensively and defensively. Garrett told me he's very excited about that because that's the recipe for being one of the elite teams in the NFL, having great offense coupled with great defense. And the Browns, maybe you know, defense had been a liability early on, maybe not as good as we thought it was going to be. Yesterday, they stepped up. Next one for me, this is the Randy Johnson Award. For those of you who remember the time that – a bird happened to get in the path of a Randy Johnson fastball, and that bird turned into a puff of feathers. There was a punt yesterday. This one got largely overlooked. One of the PFT writers noticed it and sent it to me. Rondell Moore, the rookie return specialist and receiver for the Cardinals, getting ready to field the punt. There was a flag on the play. The referee actually threw the flag, hit the ball, the ball changed directions, and Rondell Moore muffed the punt because of it. Now oh. he ended up recovering it, and everything was fine. But I think we may have the play here somewhere. But, yeah, the ball is coming down, and the flag hits the ball. And if I talk long enough, we're actually going to see it. There it is. First drive of the game. Jaguars punt to the Cardinals, and the ball's – And, oh, there, and he's like, what in the – what in the – he got lucky. He got lucky. Oh, they recovered it. I thought he recovered it. They recovered it there. The Cardinals did. Uh, but, yes, the muff was caused. There comes the flag. There's the flag. Here comes the ball. And Rondell Moore is like, what? What? Wait, what? What do I do? Do I pick up the flag? Do I pick up the ball? What do I do? And uh, I don't know. Who recovered that? I thought the Cardinals did. Maybe maybe I got, I got to get my facts straight. There, the Cardinals got it. Cardinals got it. Disaster averted for the Cardinals. But uh, you don't see that one very often. I guess it's better that it hit no, the ball don't. than it hit Orlando Brown's eye. I guess it's better. If it's going to yeah, hit anything, yeah. hit the ball, not a player. So what you always hear is when you see a player run into the referee or a referee gets in the middle of a play somehow, some way, the, the term is always the ref is part of the field. So you can't – it's not a do-over. It just counts. It's the way it is. So I guess we found out the ref's flag is now part of – of the field as well, and maybe they'll tell that ref to throw that flag in a little different direction, like maybe straight up. I know they want to try and throw it at the spot of something happening, uh, but I'm sure there'll be a discussion about that. But you're right. Just when you think you see everything, you see something a little new there, and it, it could have turned out bad for the receiving team, but it, but it did not. So my next superlative is going to be basically in that same game, and it's going to be, I'm, I'm going to call it, thank you very much for the opportunity. And that's Jamal Agnew, 109-yard kick, a f missed field goal return for a touchdown. This is, again, end of the half, Arizona and Jacksonville. Arizona's trying a long field goal right at the end of the half. And Jamal Agnew, you're allowed to have a player back there. He catches it just inside the end line. And then he returns it 109 yards for a touchdown. Now, Mike, that is a great play. That is an incredible play. But I'm going to tell you why it's not as great as some would think. Think about a field goal team, okay? And again, I was on field goal teams, usually the end. What does it usually consist of? I, I hate to disparage them, but offensive linemen – a snapper, a holder, and a kicker. So think about that. You got mostly O linemen, you got a snapper, you got a holder is usually the punter, and you have a kicker. Then usually on the ends, sometimes you still have an O lineman, but you may have a couple of D linemen, and your wings are normally tight ends. So you have basically maybe four people, 
four people with the ability to run down and maybe break down and make a tackle. Other than that, you don't. And the defense has 11 defensive players out there and athletes out there who can have easy pickings on blocking coming back. And there really isn't a remedy for it because when you're kicking a field goal, I mentioned this with Tucker's kick, when you're kicking a field goal that far, far enough to where the defense has a return man back there, it's going to have to be a low kick. So, again, the rush is going to come up the middle, so you need the big beef eaters, the old linemen, on that line to stop any kind of a middle rush. So you can't really change. It's tough to change personnel there, but then you have to live with it on the other end when they're returning it, and you have, again – offensive lineman, a long snapper, a holder, and a kicker as the majority of the people that can make a play on a kick returner. And it's definitely something you got to factor into whether or not you're going to try that long kick. You tried out Matt Prater for what would have been a record 68-yarder. What the hell? We got nothing to lose. Well, you do have something to lose. If it falls short, the guy catches it, he runs it back, and it's a 10-point swing going into the half, and the Jaguars weren't able to capitalize on it. The Cardinals eventually ran away with the game. But, boy, that would have been something. That's one of the plays we would have been talking about a lot more if the Jaguars had managed to hold on to the lead and win that game. And if you go back and watch, you know, there was kind of a feeling in the third quarter that maybe they were going to do it until the Cardinals finally woke up. I'm going to finish where I started um, with the Eli Manning retirement jersey, ring of honor, et cetera, ceremony. No more of those for the Giants. They got to stop because every time they do it, they lose, at least in, the, in their Super Bowl era of retirements. When they did it with Lawrence Taylor back in 1994, they lost to the Vikings on Monday Night Football. When they did it with Phil Simms and Chris Sims looking like he, he came from the band of Flock of Seagulls with the hair that he had, then they lost to the Cowboys that night. We got a great picture of Chris at that event. And now yesterday... There he is. There's Chris. <laughs> there he is, Chris. Haircut <laughs> <laughs> what a shirt. Wow. Um, but, but then yesterday, hey, they handpicked a cream puff, Mike. The Falcons. Surely they're not going to lose to the Falcons. They lost to the Falcons. So don't do it anymore. Giants, find a different way to do it because you're going to lose that game. Oh, and November 28th, they're doing it against the Eagles for Michael Strahan. Uh, I've already picked the Eagles to beat the Giants whatever week that is, because the Giants don't win when they honor one of their legends. It's kind of like uh, in college, you, you want to pick that homecoming game, right, where you usually get a win and make sure everybody's happy, and then it's that college that gets beat on homecoming weekend when, you know, they're kind of like, wait, that's not supposed to work that way. Yeah, Giants kind of the same way there. I, I'm with you. Uh, my, my last superlative is basically, hey, week one was a little different, and it would be Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. You know, they lose week one, but then they go on a 35 nothing win in week two, and they put up 43 uh, in week three against Washington. Josh Allen sc- throws for 358 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. So, much like it was Aaron Rodgers in week one saying, wait a minute, that wasn't Aaron, that wasn't that offense, and they've come back obviously strong. Same way with the Buffalo Bills and and Josh Allen. That offense did not look good against Pittsburgh in week one. You kind of scratch your head and said, wait a minute, they're built to have that high-scoring offense, and they certainly showed it in the last two weeks. Josh Allen really finding his way the last couple of weeks here, uh, and teams just hammering. And this latest one with Washington. Boy, Washington, again, this is why – you know, before the season, whenever you say blah, blah, blah on paper looks pretty good, tear up the paper and throw it away. Because everybody talked about how good the Washington defense looked on paper. 
And there's a big difference in the paper and on the field with what's been going on with them and the latest to throw all over on them and, and, and get, gain a bunch of yards on them and score a bunch of points on them was Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. So they're certainly making that week one loss and low output against Pittsburgh a thing of the past with how they're playing now. Let's take a quick break. When we return, I, I've already mentioned conversations I had with Mike Williams, Justin Tucker, and Miles Garrett. Talked to three other players yesterday. I'll give you a quick download of what I learned from them when PFT Live continues right after this. Ben, is there um, anything you could put your finger on why you guys have been starting so slow and then have to pick it up like that? I don't think so. I wish there was. No, if, we, if we had the answers, I'd, we'd do everything we could to fix it. Um, but right now, we're just, I think it's lack of execution for whatever reason. I obviously, as a head coach, did not do a good enough job of uh, getting this offense ready to go to be able to play and win a football game. So uh, it starts with me, it ends with me, and uh, it's as simple as that. Well, we started that with Ben Roethlisberger. The Steelers lost two in a row at home. Now they're one and two. How in the world did they beat the Buffalo Bills week one? That was a point Tony Dungy made last night. The Steelers are looking bad. The offense is not clicking. It's this weird Frankenstein monster approach where you've got 39-year-old quarterback, bring back Juju Smith-Schuster, great core of other young receivers, 80% turnover on the offensive line. New running back. It's just not working, Mike. It's not working. And I said back in March, they're going to regret, and Ben's going to regret this one more dance, let's do it one more time thing. They probably already regret it now. If they, if they would admit it, they would say we regret it. Oh, uh, listen, hindsight would be a perfect 2020 vision here and saying this isn't the road we should have gone, especially after rebuilding the offensive line. We remember Ben every year for the last five years talking about retiring and then saying, you know, I'm going to hang around as long as my offensive line hangs around. Well, your offensive line left and you still hung around. <laughs> That's why nobody really believed you. And you said you were going to retire when you're talking about your injuries and all of that because uh, that line does struggle there. They're not running the ball. Well, I love Najee Harris. You know, he, he, had, he had a bunch of catches yesterday, but they're not running the ball uh, very well. Ben just can't put the ball down the field on a rope on a rope much anymore. You know, he can kind of loft it down there, but there's no real threat to that deep, deep ball, uh, either lofting high that 40 or 50-yard ball or the, the longer out routes or middle routes. I mean, he just doesn't get the ball down the field enough, so the defense doesn't respect that. So they're not going to play that if Ben can't throw that really anymore so they can tighten up on the D a little bit. They're stopping the run uh, extremely well against Pittsburgh. And just as I this kind of been my running theme uh, through this show about scoring points, Pittsburgh can't score enough points. Pittsburgh offense isn't good enough. They are, they're not going to be in no way near. I know it's only three games in. They're not going to be in contention for anything. They can't put enough points on the board to, to do that. One player on the Bengals, Jamar Chase, single-handedly outscored the Steelers' entire team. He had two touchdowns, 12 points for him. Steelers scored 10. Chase now has four in three games, youngest player in league history to score four touchdowns in his first three games. I talked to him afterward. You know, the issues with the drops in the preseason, one of the things he said he had to learn is – you only get so many reps. There's only so many footballs. You got to be ultra focused every time you're on the field. And that carried over into the regular season. He's made some great catches. Here's one 34 yarder. Look at this. And he catches the back of the football. And it was in single coverage. 
Mikey told me he's only seen some double coverage the last two games and not much of it at all. He fully expects, given the way he's been playing, that he's going to see more double coverage soon. And hey, folks, I remember when when Tony Dungy's Buccaneers decided to single cover Randy Moss in 1998 until he proved he could get it done, and he did. you got to quickly pivot to double covering Jamar Chase. going to open up the rest of the offense, but Jamar Chase is going to beat guys one-on-one repeatedly like we've seen him do. Oh, listen, I agree. And I, w- I wonder if there's a little bit of him that wishes he didn't go so much into the, well, the ball's different than college and this and that, and, and maybe, you know, talk a little less on that. And, and, and obviously, whatever he's done, he's done a great job. As you mentioned, 11 receptions, four touchdowns already. He's been incredible. And w- you couldn't ask for much more in Cincinnati is your second-year quarterback and your first-year receiver getting on the same page this quick. But you mentioned about the double teams. Rarely, do you, you're not starting off into the league. It's, I don't care how great you were in college. You don't walk into the NFL where they say, you know what, we got to double team this young kid right out of the gate. You got to earn that. You have to prove yourself. And certainly Jamar Chase is going down the road of proving himself that they're going to have to spend put some extra eyes on him in coverage. If you're going to prove it to the other teams, it's just a matter of when you prove it. And he's proven it pretty early. We all loved him coming out. We all thought he was going to be a great coming out. But you still have to get to this level and prove yourself. And he's doing that. All right, Sunday Statement Draft is next. Who made the biggest and loudest and boldest statement for week three? We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. I want to talk to you about Tom Brady. It's a touchy subject. Go ahead. We've got Brady coming back. Are you kidding me? Legendary. If I could say one thing to Tom Brady, I would say thank you. Legendary. Tom Brady's the best quarterback forever. Yeah. It was heartbreaking. It was like a breakup. That was sick to my stomach, but you move on, you pick up the pieces, and you go, right? Brady all the way. The GOAT. You always be the GOAT. Let's go! The final countdown begins just six days away. Tom Brady back in New England. Buccaneers take on the Patriots. I have a feeling we'll be talking about that a time or two throughout the course of the week. Time for Sunday Statement Draft. Mike, you have the honors. Uh, listen, I'm going to start and draft a guy. You know, we talk about the running backs in the NFL today. You better be able to catch a lot out of the backfield as well. But you know what I'm drafting? I'm still drafting Derrick Henry. I, I, I'm st- because I want him on my team because I don't want to have to tackle him. This dude just gets better as the game goes on. First game, they lose. He only rushes the ball 17 times. Then in week two, 35 times. And yesterday, 28 times. He's leading the league in rushing. And oh, by the way, he's averaging four catches per game. That's even What's even more frightening than Derrick Henry getting the ball behind the line of scrimmage and running downhill? Him getting the ball in space. And now the first guys that are going to hit him are either linebackers or defensive backs and trying to take him down. He is a load. And I want this dude on my team. So, again, leading the league in rushing, but we always look at the back that catches the ball a lot, like Christian McCaffrey. Uh, But this guy, give him the ball and let him drop his shoulder, especially in the fourth quarter. I I usually... Uh, look back at the 
players that I selected for what we do on Friday, the show me something draft. If they do show me something, then they become automatic candidates for the Sunday statement draft. So I'm going to pick one of the guys that I think I picked Friday, although it was three days ago. Who the hell knows what I picked? I think Matthew Stafford was one of them. And look, I said if Stafford wants to prove that he's an elite quarterback, this is his chance toe-to-toe with Tom Brady because he saw Brady late in 2020 and Brady had 348 passing yards in the first half and was removed because it was a boat race. Now Stafford got injured, turned an ankle early in that game, but what a difference for Matthew Stafford from the Lions to the Rams and Stafford outduels Tom Brady racks up 34 points with 343 passing yards and four touchdowns. He has a tremendous array of weapons that he's never had to this extent. Yes, he had Calvin Johnson, but beyond Calvin Johnson, he didn't have the other options that he now has. So Stafford, really an exclamation point as we try to figure out who the best teams are in the NFC. We thought it was the Buccaneers and everyone else. The Rams have made their case. Uh, my, ne- my next draft is going to be that, that edge rusher. I'm going to go with, with Miles Garrett, uh, especially coming off a week where you call out your team the way he did, saying, hey, if they're going to block me, somebody, somebody's got to make a play. You know, and that's something we all know. You all see it in film. If two guys are blocking one guy, the guy that's getting single block damn well better be doing something. But Miles Garrett gets off in this last game against the Bears, albeit the O-line for the Bears isn't very good. But when you have the chance to make plays, you make plays. Four and a half sacks for Miles Garrett out of the nine times Justin Field was sacked. We always knew Garrett was a great edge rusher. What I love about him as an edge rusher, Mike, is the fact that he's 6'5". He's got long arms. He's got great bend and turns a corner extremely well. So this put together with that offense and the weapons that they have, this team, I think, is going to do very well this year. But Miles Garrett putting the pressure on his teammates saying you got to come up. Well, if you're going to do that, you got to make sure when you have the chance to make plays, if you're single blocked, you have to make them. And Miles Garrett certainly did that yesterday. He's been on the edge of that conversation for Defensive Player of the Year the past couple of years. He yep. may have made the loudest statement that puts him – maybe in the driver's seat for now. All right, I've got a complicated relationship with Kirk Cousins. Uh, I'll explain to you another time the genesis of it, but as Sim says, it's he loves him, he loves him not. Hey, Kirk Cousins, yesterday, 30 out of 38, 323 yards, three touchdowns, spreading the ball around, Justin Jefferson having nine catches for 118, Alexander Madison, 110 rushing yards in place of Dalvin Cook, the offense under Clint Kubiak finally gelling. Kirk Cousins had a lot to do with it. Down 17-7, they systematically dismantled the Seattle defense and won the game 30-17. to We got one more round to go. Let's take a break, and we'll finish it up in the final segment of today's PFT Live. All right, our, our good friend Tom Marshall from across the pond, uh, our first official merchandising item, Mike. I like that. I like that. Just get your old Mike and Mike hat, and we'll supply you with the the strip that you can use to make it a uh, Mike along with Mike hat. Well done, Tom Marshall. All right, uh, final round of Sunday statement, Mike. Who you got? <laughs> It's really low cost on our part. We're just providing the strip. It's pretty easy. Um, I, Handwritten. I, it, well, it's tough. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, how can you not take Justin Tucker? How can you not say, I'm going to be in a position to win a game, you know, I can get it to the point where if I need a 66-yard field goal, we can win the game. That really makes it a little more easier on your offense. For me, a guy who's not known to give a whole lot of love to kickers throughout my career, you have to respect it. You have to respect that. As I said, he ran out again with seven seconds ago and was ready to do it then before they pulled him out the field. Love his confidence. Love the kick. It was awesome. I got to go with the Denver defense for my last one. They were caught in that late afternoon window with plenty of other great games, Raiders, Dolphins, Rams, Bucks, Vikings, Seahawks. It got overlooked. It got disregarded. I shut out. And I know it's the Jets. And I know that the opponents of the Broncos so far this year are a combined 0-9. Hey, for a team that has been struggling for the past few years, this is progress, and it's it's reason to be proud. They, they shut down the Jets. They shut out the Jets. It's hard to pitch a shutout in the NFL. Mike, I don't think there'll be a shutout tonight at AT&T Stadium in Dallas when the Cowboys and the Eagles get together. Who do you think is going to win? Well, in an era of passing, I think Cowboys can control the ball running with the Elliott and Pollard with that offensive line. So I look for them to run the ball, control the clock, and get the win over my former team. Sorry. Yeah, I think the Cowboys, who uh, should feel very good about themselves after what they did to the Buccaneers in a defeat, after beating the Chargers, who showed us how good they are yesterday, I think tonight is one of those moments where we start to appreciate the Cowboys are a team that is going to be a contender in the NFC as we start to see the field take shape. That's it for today's edition of PFT Live. Mike, thank you. Great stuff as always. Thanks to all of you. See you at 5 o'clock Eastern for PFTPM. PM.